Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. that time once again happy saturday morning from everyone here at awesomemo.com it is college football dfs picks and betting show i'm ben Razza here with matt gajeski as i always am at it was 15 games and it was 14 games and now it's 13 games uh by the time we finish the show is it still going to be 13 games that's that's the first question i got for you well we just got a piece of news tennessee is starting Bailey at quarterback today. I know how big of a fan you are of their normal quarterback. If you read your article, you've got some nice 
tidbits about how he's playing at a high school level. Um, Did I say mean things about him? Yeah, it's possible. I I still I ask you this like I'd say once a month. What happened to the other guy? Trout. What? Trout is that? That's the guy you like, right? No, there's another another guy. Oh, I thought for some reason I thought you were a Trout guy. We talked about this once a while back. So you you're you're a Brian Maurer guy. Yeah, Maurer. I, he's still with the team. I don't know. He got like, I, I believe he got a concussion or two last year. And I thought it was his team. And it's certainly not. None of that is really that important, though. We've got 13 of a chat. What's going on, everybody? It's good to see everyone. Yes, Grio is winning the golf. We've got college football, college basketball. It's going to be a crazy day of sports. Uh, we're going to get things started. We're going to pump up the likes. And we're going to dive in. Matt, you told me before. The show, you've bet a handful of games already. I've bet a couple, so we've got that covered. And let's dive into the DFS side if you are ready. Yeah, man, let's do it. All right. Texas A&M, Auburn. Good game right off the bat here. I'm not surprised at the spread, but at the same time, I kind of am. Five and a half point road favorites for the Aggies, over under 48 and a half. It's not the best game in the world. And let's start with Kellen Mond, too. Uh, you know, he's a dual threat guy, but we haven't seen it a ton this year. They obviously are in the hunt still. They haven't played in recent weeks, but they're the team that knocked off Florida. They only have their one loss to Alabama. What do you make of the Aggies in general? And then on this slate. This is a game where I considered betting Auburn against the spread as the home underdog here. Texas A&M, they, they do have the good win, but I'm still not sure how efficient this program is going to be with Mond, and they're just not using him to his strengths. It hasn't really mattered so much, but like you mentioned, he's not really running the ball. They've kind of ignored this the entire year. I don't think he's dealing with an injury. Last year, he didn't run as much either, but he was hurt, and that's what I thought it was. It turns out maybe they are just trying to use him as a pocket passer. So my first inclination was to side with Auburn, but Auburn is dealing with some injuries heading into the game, so I ended up not betting the game at all. As far as DFS, because Mon's not rushing, he's kind of a tough sell for me at 7,700 on DraftKings. He, because he's not running and he never really gets you the 300-yard bonus, he's tough to get to at his price. And, I mean, he's been below 200 yards three times this year, only above 300 twice, so he's not really a live threat for the bonus. He'll be tough for me to get to. Do you look to anybody else on the Zaggy side? I mean, at one point, uh, you know, we had the backfield – Spiller's price has come way up. So has the work. Um, obviously, Smith, he's kind of, and you've talked about this, he's like a ride receiver, basically. Going to catch some balls, not going to have any carries or very minimal. What do you do with those two guys, or do you leave them alone? Yeah, he was recruited as a slot receiver. They moved him to running back to start the year, but they've dealt with a couple of injuries to their wide receivers already, so they move him back to slot, and he hasn't carried the ball in weeks. It's essentially just Isaiah Spiller handling all of the work He has 20.4 opportunities per game. That's targets plus carries, making him a pretty solid play. But my only worry is the overall game environment here. It's a 48 and a half total. As the favorite in this game, they're implied for just 27 points. And it's a very slow game. Texas A&M, they notoriously run a slow offense, just 67 plays per game. So I, I do have questions about the scoring equity and some of the volume if it is a slower game. Among the wide receivers, They did return Hezekiah Jones recently. He was dealing with an injury to begin the year. He was widely expected to be their wide receiver one heading into the program. They had a lot of opt-outs, but he's dealing with an injury. He comes back, and he has three games under his belt now. In two of those games, he saw eight targets, and DraftKings did not price him up. He's still 3,600. They're running 
essentially just the same five guys at their skill position players and no rotation whatsoever. It's Weidermeyer at tie end, Hezekiah Jones, Chase Lane, and Anae Smith as the main pass catchers. And they're on the field like almost 90% of dropbacks. It's a, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I lean to Auburn in this game. I have not bet it, but I'm kind of on that side of it. I know they've got some injuries, but I don't see a ton to like on the AM side. But God, yeah, I mean, if you need a cheapie, I guess you can go there. 3,600 is an appeal, appealing price point. On the other side, we've got Bo Nix and Co. I actually want to start. We'll, we'll get back to Nix in a second. I want to start in the backfield, though. Uh, I believe this is where we stand. That Williams is out. Bigsby is questionable. Uh, yep. What does that do to you? Is that a stay away? Obviously, you know this better than everyone. The unpredictability and the lack of information. I thought with so Bigsby got hurt in the game last week and Auburn's just straight up not going to give you injury updates. You'll have to wait to see if he's warming up. And even if he does, I don't think that's a certainty that he plays. We've seen this with Eli stove. He warmed up for a game and didn't end up going earlier this year, but Bigsby, if he's healthy, he's going to be the main ball carrier. It will be a timeshare to some degree with Sean Shivers rotating in as kind of a scat back. And then Mark Anthony Richards, who's 3,100, he played a decent amount last week. I was surprised to see him so involved. I thought Shivers would handle a majority of the workload, but Anthony Richards, or Mark Anthony Richards outcarried him. So I think this could be a three-way timeshare if Bigsby's limited. If he's active, I would have the most interest in him. But again, we're talking about a team who's a near-touchdown underdog with a 21-point implied team total. When you look on the outside, though, I, I will say – I. I'm not going to say they're vastly underpriced, but both of their big time, if you want to call them big time receivers, are sub 6K. We got Schwartz at 59, Seth Williams at 54. That's probably where I would look if I do go here. What are your thoughts on them? And then I guess tie it back to Bo Nix. Yeah, Seth Williams is the guy I would look to. He should be priced where Schwartz is. He's out targeted Schwartz. He has more receiving yards than Schwartz. I just don't understand why they price Schwartz 500 more than him. That's not to say Schwartz is a bad play himself. He's one of the fastest receivers in the country. He's only recorded a few targets less than Williams, just a few more or a few less receiving yards as well. I think you can target both of them. Nix is a guy I'm going to have a lot of trouble getting to with a 21 point implied team total. He's been better this year for what it's worth, averaging 232 passing yards per game on 33 attempts does give you solid rushing ability, but he still just has one 300 yard passing game. He's fallen below the 200 mark on two other occasions, so he's a little bit volatile. I think at a 21 implied team total, I'm probably just going to look elsewhere. I I agree with you. If you play someone, it's probably like a one-off of Seth Williams. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I may – there is a chance I bet Auburn in this game. It's going to be Auburn or pass. I don't love it. If it was north of touchdown, obviously it would be on the card, but it is not. So we'll keep an eye on that. Certainly uh, after the show in Slack, we'll be talking about it. Next game up, Texas, seven and a half point favorite on the road against Kansas State, who we can't stand, over under a 51. Uh, obviously, with the Longhorns, we're going to start with Ellinger. He's always going to be expensive, 9,100. Uh, it's a simple question. In a matchup like this, the way he's taking sacks, what, what do you make of him? Are you going to pay that type of price for him? I don't think so. Texas is a team that's increasingly relied on the run. They've dropped their pass rate nearly every single game since the start of the year. And Ellinger himself, his passing yardage has also dropped almost on a weekly basis. I remember early in the year, you and I were talking and we're like, all right, Ellinger's averaging like 330 yards per game. And then it was down to like 315. Then it was down to 303, 290. Now it's down well into the six or the 200s. And it's because he has just one 300 yard passing game out of eight this year. 
It came in the first week of the season. So you aren't seeing that 300-yard bonus really live in any game. And against Kansas State, arguably like the slowest non-triple option team in the country, what type of play volume does Sam Ellinger actually have to work with today? Even though Kansas State's not efficient, they are still draining clock. Unless he gets there on the ground, I have a hard time paying for him. Yeah, and it, it was week one. It was also against UTEP, uh, who times are tough for the minors. I'll just leave it at that. A classic. In the backfield, Ingram, who has been, uh, I don't know, I guess polarizing guys, had some issues with fumbles. He's left the program. He's going to transfer. So does that open it up for Robinson, or do you think it's still going to be a timeshare just with other players? Obviously, Robinson's going to clearly be included. I think it'll be a timeshare to some degree with Roshan Johnson, but it looks like Robinson is still going to focus more as the 1A in this backfield. I do have some interest in it because they're pretty heavy favorites over Kansas State, and Kansas State doesn't exactly have you know the best run defense in the country. They're allowing you know over 150 yards on the ground per game. I am so worried about play volume here, but I think you can look to Robinson potentially as like a GPP type play. I think these guys that are in timeshares that have decent implied team totals in our favor typically go overlooked. And he's kind of in that 5k price range where he's not exactly difficult to fit. You're still worried about Roshan and Ellinger is going to receive a lot of carries himself and he's very active around the goal line. So I think the touchdown equity is still questionable. That's the one concern for me. He does, you know, he's got a lot of Cam Newton in him where, and even Kyler to an extent, around the goal line, Ellinger could take that. And you need, you're going to need touchdowns, uh, even in, a, in a, certainly in a tournament setting with a guy like Robinson. On the outside, it's been a tough all year. They've had some injuries, Jake Smith in, Jake Smith out. He's in, Eagles more. I, I, I can't even scroll down far enough to find Tariq Black, your boy. God, Sad times. Is there anything in, in the Longhorns receivers that, that we need to take notice of here? I think Joshua Moore is a little underpriced. The targets have been a little volatile for Texas. This has been the case all year. Joshua Moore did deal with an injury two games ago, missed a game. Last week, he came back. He only received a handful of targets. Brendan Eagles actually out-targeted him. Jake Smith out-targeted him. But he still ran the most routes, and he's still the target leader on the season. So to, to see him come in cheaper than Jake Smith and Brennan Eagles was a little surprising to me. He still should be the most expensive receiver here. You know this is a volatile situation, so it's not like Joshua Moore is like a lock or anything. But if you want to consider a Texas pass catcher, I think he's too cheap. Brennan Eagles, he has 15 combined targets in Texas' two most recent games, partially because Joshua Moore missed some playing time. And Jake Smith. He started to seed work in the slot to Jordan Whittington, who's been injured for most of the year. But Whittington's a dynamic player. They want to just get the ball in his hands, and Texas will rotate wide receivers anyway. So I think the Whittington reemergence hurts Jake Smith. The only good thing about Kansas State is that it saves time for the show. Uh, <laughs> is there anything to talk about? Every week the answer is no. Do you have any interest in Will Howard or Deuce Vaughn? Not in Will Howard. I thought pretty long and hard about Deuce Vaughn because he is such a solid touch floor at this point, but what is the scoring upside with a Kansas state running back? You know, if you played Deuce Vaughn at 6,600, would you prefer him to let's use someone else on the slate? For an example, like a Zonovan Knight for NC state it was a much higher implied team total and is going to score a lot more touchdowns for me. I'll just take the upside rather than the touch floor with Deuce Vaughn. Like I think Vaughn is safer, but I think his ceiling is far, far lower than a guy like Zonovan Knight. And there's a number of backs Similar tonight that we'll talk about on the slate. Agree. Um, moving on, staying in the Big 12, the Oklahoma State, TCU, Cowboys, slight favorites 
I believe I could just be making that up, but I'm pretty sure that they are favored. Okay, uh, State is two and a half favored. Yeah, two and a half point favored, 52 and a half point total. I know because I bet it. You know because you bet it. So there we go. You're on that side of it. And talk to me. So last week on this show, we spent a large amount of it talking about LD Brown and Jackson and what was going to happen in this backfield. Chubb, you know, obviously Chuba said Brown sat. Jackson went nuts. Where do we stand this week? So Chuba and Brown both dealing with injuries. Chuba's dealing with an ankle injury. There's been rumors circulating around the program that he might not just play again this season. Obviously, he's an NFL hopeful type player. He's going to get drafted. He definitely hurt his stock coming back this year, but he still has an NFL future. So he may not play again this year, even if he is healthy enough to go. If he warms up, I think there's he's going to play if he warms up. So you'll have to watch pregame. LD Brown was a game time decision last week. He actually warmed up, suited up for the game initially, but then just didn't end up going. That led Desmond Jackson, like my goodness, one of the best rushing games outside of like Patterson for Buffalo of the year. 36 carries, 235 yards and three scores. This OK State team is run heavy. They're going to run the ball like as often as they possibly can. They're slight favorites in the spot. Desmond Jackson, I think, is still too cheap if he's the lone back here. Like Hubbard has been priced above 8K routinely on the slate. And I think you're paying more for the role than you are the player. Like you just don't see 36 carries very often for runners. So if Jackson's the lone back, he should be like an 8.5K player. If LD Brown is back, I think this is a timeshare. But Jackson clearly played well enough to earn some sort of role moving forward. So the one, if we get word, uh, say he is the lone back, and obviously that's going to garner some interest. Do you have any interest in tournaments at directly leveraging against him with Tylen Wallace on the outside and hoping that maybe they throw, you know, they open it up a little more? Yeah, nobody plays Tylen Wallace. And yeah. It, it, I think it's because of the Oklahoma State run rate. It's so high. Like they're only passing 41% of the time. They're actually pretty fast in plays per game, 78. So there is some volume here for the offense overall. And Wallace is a 33% target share. He's averaging 112 receiving yards per game. He's another NFL player in this offense. And Spencer Sanders, while I'm not too interested in Sanders by himself, he has eyes only for Tylen Wallace, which makes me definitely interested in a leverage play. Yeah, I think there is direct leverage there. This guy's explosive. It's not the best situation. The floor is not intact. I wouldn't go there and cash by any stretch. But I do think you can consider them. I know you're on the OK State side on the betting market. <laughs> on TCU, Dugan, now he's priced up. Uh, we've tried. It hasn't really worked. Is this the day to attack it against a tough Oklahoma State defense? I'd say no at an elevated price point. He's not someone you can stack. You essentially have to play him naked, and he's heavily reliant on his rushing production. He is a good rusher. He's 409 yards already this year. He has gotten there with touchdowns. If you remember, he was very popular a few weeks ago, and he had three rushing scores. He's fallen below 200 yards passing in over half of his games this year, so there's just no ceiling here unless he hits those extra touchdowns on the ground. He'll be a fade for me. You also can't stack him. There's not a single pass catcher averaging over 41 receiving yards per game. The TCU team is just a disaster and a rotation at almost every single position. Yeah, Tay Barber uh, not coming off a historic game where he had 0.7 fantasy points. And you mentioned the backfield. I don't have anything else to say on the TCU side, uh, but you do like to lay the two and a half? Yeah, I already bet it. All right. There we go. First bet of the day goes to you. Go into the Big Ten. 
Ohio State, 23 and a half. This was 24 when I woke up. It's going down, I guess, a little. 23 and a half point favorite going in East Lansing, 59 and a half point total. Uh, obviously, this is a team that we have to consider. We've got Fields, who, you know, he, he made some mistakes, no doubt about it. He probably lost the Heisman for several reasons. One, that they didn't play, so I can burn my tickets there. But what do we do with him? He is flat 10K, so extremely expensive. Do we stack up Ohio State today? You always can stack Ohio State. I, I don't think he's a cash game play because he's cost prohibitive. He projects a little worse than Kyle Trask just because the volume's not going to be there. But again, when you look at the projections, their median projections, so Justin Fields has one of the highest ceilings on the entire slate, which you definitely need to factor in. Don't just blindly follow the projections, particularly in tournaments. But he's averaging over 300 yards per game on just 28 attempts, which speaks to his efficiency. Gives you something on the ground, 135 cumulative yards. And the thing that's nice about stacking him is he only throws to two players. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Outside of that, I mean, there's not another player with double-digit targets on the team. And it's, it's ridiculous. Garrett Wilson, 128 receiving yards per game. Chris Olave, just short of 100 yards at 97 per game. They're expensive, which is the toughest thing about this stack. If you take Fields to Wilson, it's almost impossible to double stack with Olave. And you're just eating so much salary that you're going to have to punt a couple positions, making Fields and the Ohio State stack a little difficult to get to. $26,000. So slightly more than half of your cap on three players if you tried the double stack there. That's a brutal ask you're gonna have to probably pick one hope it goes to him and then hope fields does the rest on the ground but going to the ground there was a time where teague and sermon were much closer together in salary but they're also most more close together in role now teague has taken over he's 8300 sermon 3500 uh do you think it correlates to kind of what we're seeing on the field kind of their efficiency is not very different if i'm not mistaken they're both averaging the same yards per carry which I mean, I don't think Teague has been, he's been fine. He's been serviceable. He's not, he's clearly not JK Dobbins back there, but we're interested in Teague for volume, not his efficiency. And he is seeing that now he's out carrying Sermon at three or four games. They were tied in the other game. He's averaging 19 opportunities per game, 95 yards in the ground. Speaking to that sort of modest efficiency, it's definitely not out of this world or anything, but Teague should find ample opportunities today. They're huge favorites. I think even Sermon is, someone you could consider as a potential punt play. He's still averaging 12.3 touches per game and huge, huge favorites here. Like at he's 3.5 K if you're getting 10 to 12 touches at 3.5 K, if Sermon's the one that falls in the end zone, sure. It's viable in tournaments. And I mean, if you want to stack Ohio state, maybe that's a way you can access it sermon at the near min. 
So you're saying like field sermon and then one of the big time receivers possibly. You could do that. I don't, I don't think I will because they, they're probably gonna have to score like 60 points for that to pay off. Correct. Do you think, I mean, it's a perfect transition on to the other side though. Uh, Michigan state. I, I, I don't know how good Northwestern is, was they did pull the upset though. Got to give them credit. 29, 20. I just feel like in a game like this, I'm not sure obviously they're going to be able to score enough, but for the DFS side of things, uh, is this a chance for them? You've, you've talked extensively on the stream that of course it's a new coach, uh, a new system. They are playing faster over 70 plays per game, Rocky Lombardi, these type of guys against Ohio state. What do you make of the environment here? Ohio state has been, they've obviously given up some production to opposing passing attacks. I know most of it came from Penix from Indiana, but it shows they can be beat to some degree. I'm not sure Lombardi's the guy that can do it. Lombardi, he showed his ceiling. He had two 300-yard passing games in Michigan State's first two games, but he has 415 total passing yards combined in his last three. So I'm not sure. I, I think if you're trying to target Michigan State, they are viable in runbacks to the stacks from the Ohio State side just because the pass rate is so high. So at the very least, you're getting some PPR production, you know, like, Wandale Robinson, for example, backdoors his way into value almost every single week because he gets like 10 targets and they're all screen passes. So that's 10 auto points on just the catches. That could be the case for Jaden Reed, their slot receiver. He's only three targets behind their target leader, Jalen Naylor. They're both 4.5K or cheaper. It's pretty easy to get to those, those guys if you're running back stacks. Do you make anything of... Lombardi on the ground out of nowhere in Northwestern. He had 65 rushing yards. Is that a complete outlier or is that something that we may see? That's more rushing yards than he has cumulatively the entire year. So I think it's probably an outlier. He'll take some sacks. Yeah. I mean, he was in the negatives uh, and now he's trying to cling back to positivity. You've got the guys on the outside in the backfield. It's been kind of a, a pain point all year. something we really haven't needed to delve into. Hayward, I, I mean, I I don't really know exactly how you would decipher this. Uh, he's certainly getting the touches, but he's 4,600. It's not a great spot. And when they were winning against Northwestern, that's obviously easier. If they're down 20 points here, what happens to this backfield? Yeah, we've seen that a couple times with Michigan State this year. They are definitely not going to feed Hayward voluminously if they're losing. There's also They're dealing with some injuries on Michigan State. They didn't have Jordan Simmons. And they also didn't have Ricky White. We didn't talk about him either, but I, I don't think that matters too much. He's the wide receiver three behind Naylor and Reed. But, you know, without Simmons, it was a two-man rotation with Hayward and Collins. They don't seem very fond of Collins these days, as you can see with the minimum price tag. But, you know, if Simmons returns, it's a three-way rotation on a team that's going to see negative game script. And the more difficult matchup here is on the ground for, for Michigan State. So I think Michigan State is probably going to try to hit the air early. You think they could hang in at all? I didn't no. bet it. I'm not going to. I don't think they can hang in there. <laughs> yeah, times are tough, but we'll see. This next game is one, God, these teams, I will say, uh, even, even I, who, you know, I'm not nearly as tuned in as you, I, like everyone, realize that Rondo Moore's price is broken. We'll get there in a second. But Nebraska, one and a half point underdog, over under of 63. So this is something that obviously is going to pique our interest a little. We'll start with the Cornhuskers. Uh is the I don't want to say is it over for Luke McCaffrey, but it seems like Martinez has wrangled back the job. He's seventy two hundred. Do we know what the status is of this QB situation? Do you have any interest in Martinez at seventy two? I think he's a GPP play 
because if he plays poorly to start the game, you could see him yanked. We've seen this nearly every game with Nebraska where they yank their starting signal caller. But I do think Adrian Martinez has earned the starting job and he's earned at least a, a somewhat decent look as long as he doesn't completely face plant this game. He completed 18 of 20 passes last week, just 174 yards, but he, he's a phenomenal rusher as well. So I think you're playing him more for his dual threat ability, but I do think he provides more upside to the Nebraska offense as a whole, as a passer. Luke McCaffrey was just a fancy running back. So, uh, and that notion, like, will you look to possibly stacking Robinson with him if you do go to Martinez? They did price up Wandale. And when he was 5K, Wandale Robinson was an easy lock and load. Even with Luke McCaffrey, like I said, the the 10 targets or so he would receive a game were essentially all screen passes. So he would just backdoor his way into to 10 points. And then whatever receiving yardage he get, I mean, he finished like what I think was 17 and 24 in his two games. So you can see he actually did have a decent amount of production here. Uh, you can stack him. I probably will do this a little bit. And it's just because, I mean, if you're, I want to stack the Purdue side too. If you're running back a Nebraska player, who is it outside of Robinson? I don't think there's another viable pass catcher on the team. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just looking, I'm Austin. I don't, I don't have an answer for you. I don't think there is anybody in play. And that's, that's the interesting part about this. You've got a total North of 60, a very competitive game. Then you look to, to Nebraska and they don't have any standout plays. It's a product of the pricing, I guess. Anything else from that side before we turn to Purdue? Watch the status of Dedrick Mills. What Scott Frost said about Mills did not really inspire any confidence in me that he's going to play. Just said like fingers crossed, didn't say whether he'd been practicing or not. And I know he hadn't been practicing last week. If Mills plays, he has received a large workload in the past. Without Mills, they basically are rotating three or four backs. Ramir Johnson, Marvin Scott, and Wondell Robinson will enter the backfield for a carry or two here and there. It's just a really tough situation to get to. I, if we look to like the pass catchers outside of Nebraska, I mean, we could maybe take a look at routes. And outside of Wandale Robinson, Austin Allen, their tight end, is running the second most routes. Maybe he's someone you look to. I know we got banged up last week, so you have to watch him pregame. And then there's someone by the name of Oliver Martin for this team. He's only played in two games this year for Nebraska, but he ran a route on 71% of dropbacks. Didn't really amount to any production, but he's on the field more than all of the other receivers and pass catchers like Marcus Fleming. You're not looking at, even though he's been banged up like Cade Warner, Xavier Betts. You don't want to play any of those guys. Oliver Martin. That doesn't sound like a real person. I didn't think so either until I checked the routes run for him. And he has three targets in two games, but he is running around on most of the dropbacks. I mean, he's like your Jamison Williams from Ohio state caliber dart throw, or like uh, one of the Clemson players that's on the field all the time, just wind sprinting. Aju, Aju. Um, all right, let's go to Purdue. Plummer, it's officially his team. We've known that. I, I mean, we can get this out of the way right now. Even I, like I said, Rondell Moore, 6,800. Chad, you, all the time, who's, who's the cash lock? It's Rondell Moore, no discussion. What do you do in tournaments, though? He's going to be extremely popular, but is the price so egregious that we just do it and, and leverage elsewhere? I tend to just want to do it. And, like... I cannot believe his price is below 7K. We're talking about a guy that has 28 targets through two games this year. And every time we see Rondell Moore on the field, he's basically, I don't want to call him a lock. You don't want to call anyone locks in college football, but he is a strong probability of being the most targeted receiver on the day. And you're just seeing him at an egregious price. I'm probably just going to fill him in. The game is a good total. They're favored. Nebraska's defense isn't scary. 
Like it's going to take a lot for him to bust that price. I think the more interesting thing is not to do you know, what to do with him, but you've got, it's not just play him. So we have a couple different options. You can play him standalone. You can use Plummer. I think Plummer's in play at 7,900. But the, the really interesting thing to me, I feel like most people will not use David Bell for obvious reasons at 7,500. Do you have any interest in trying to get him in either with more as a full-time, a full Purdue stack or not use more and go to Bell in what will be a fraction of the ownership? Yeah, there's absolutely interest in that. David Bell's the other wide receiver of note in the offense. I think he's an NFL player to, at some point in his career. He's only a sophomore, so he has another year left at Purdue. But he was averaging north of 10 targets per game prior to Rondell Moore entering the picture. And he's just seen 15 targets total since Rondell Moore has been back. That's in two games. But he still clearly has upside. Like The guy had a 30% target share before Rondell Moore entered the picture. And Purdue recently had some opt-outs and transfers, so he's not coming off the field. Yeah, and obviously it goes without saying, if he has a massive blow-up game, it's going to hurt Rondell Moore's chances directly. So it's direct leverage in the backfield. There's leverage too. You mentioned uh, a couple guys. This guy was a little, you know, he's in a different price tier slightly, but 8,400 for Horvath. Uh, obviously if Purdue wins this game and controls this game, we could see the ground game be the reason. And he could push for 20 carries, maybe 25 total touches. Can you pay that price tag? And where does he fit in? Like, does he go, can you use him and more in the same lineup? Is he part of stacks? Is he an individual play? How do you break that part down? I think he's still probably an individual play. His target volume is phenomenal. Here are his last four games, just targets. Six, 10, five, and five. That's crazy target volume for a running back. But at the same time, these are all targets, like low eight out targets around the line of scrimmage. If you're trying to stack the Purdue offense and access their upside through the pass game, I still don't think it's coming through Xander Horvath. I think it's more of just a boost to him individually. And this is a good leverage spot off of Rondale Moore, who's coming in with heavy, heavy ownership. Xander Horvath at 8,400, I think, won't be as popular because he's expensive. But the matchup's very, very nice. Nebraska is allowing over 200 rushing yards per game. Horvath is averaging 22 opportunities per, per game himself. The only concern I have is King Doru, who is injured to start the year. Perhaps he starts seeing an increased workload, but we haven't seen it yet. So I think that's just, you know, speculation at this point. What a sick name. King. Uh, yeah, just that guy should be on the field all the time. Did you um, see Good News play for Valpo last night? Who? They have a player named Good News. They also played Purdue, did they not? They played Purdue. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did not bet that game. Should have. Would have been on the right side of it, but. That's there's a lot of good names out there and King Doru is one of them. So final thoughts on this game, just to, just to wrap it up, obviously Rondell Moore, you play him in cash really obviously in playing all formats. Do you, what do you do with Plummer though? Where does he fall on your priority list for QBs? He's pretty high in that okay. range. I do like, you know, there's a certain Virginia quarterback that I seem to have a problem playing every time he's in the slate. So he's right in that price range too. But I, I definitely think you can play plumber as far as accessing like stacks and the ceiling. He's one of the better plays in the slate. Moving on. Uh, we got through five. We're making good time. We'll have some time. I do want to get your thoughts at the end of the show on a couple of games that are not on the slate. Coastal would be one of them. Syracuse Notre Dame, this game shouldn't be on any slate. 33 and a half point favorite for Notre Dame over under a 50 and a half. You guys are going to get it done and then you'll be swiftly smoked by Clemson and all will be right with the world. But we'll talk about it here. Syracuse, it's just been a, an awful season for them. 
Culpepper under center, sub 5K. Does it matter, though, even though they're obviously going to be trailing by many, many touchdowns? No, they – I mean, the Syracuse offensive line is making a very strong case for being the worst offensive line in the country. They've allowed 40 sacks, and maybe this is why all of their quarterbacks are hurt. But Culpepper, even if he does have a decent passing game, he's almost a lock to take negative yardage from sacks. I No chance I'm going to be playing him. The only other guy I could even ask you about probably is Taj Harris. Uh, I mean, he's he gets offered to look at the last game, 13 for a buck 46 and a touchdown, but those are few or far between. I'm assuming Notre Dame will be ready for him. And he had 20 targets. Yeah, that'll, that'll play. That'll play. I still don't think he's very playable at his price. I mean, Notre Dame can just isolate him. They, they have a very strong front seven, so it's not like it's not going to take a lot to neutralize Syracuse's horrific offensive line. I mean, they can just dedicate coverage to Taj. Uh, on the other side, I mean, we know that Notre Dame can kind of name their score, but the problem with this team, and we saw it earlier in the year, I cannot remember who, well, USF, yeah, that team. And, you know, someone like Kyron Williams in that game, you look, he had 10 carries for 62 yards. Every other running back got involved. There was about 10 of them back there. Do you think that's, you know, the same thing we're going to see here? I, I assume they want to make sure not take any chances with their top end guys in a game like this. Yeah, we've seen it with Notre Dame a, a few times this year where Kyron Williams got, de- he's been depressed a little bit as far as his volume, like the Georgia Tech game stands out against Pitt. He barely carried the ball. So they've done this numerous times. He is averaging over 20 opportunities per game himself. He actually ranks third on the team in targets, and he's averaging just shy of 100 yards rushing. But again, this is sort of your, I guess, more of Travis Etienne from last year where you can almost project him for 10 to 15 touches. And on that reduced volume, he basically needs to hit the end zone a few times, and then you're just rolling the dice if he's the one that gets the touchdowns. Makes him extra volatile at 9,200. I'll probably play a little bit, but not – you know, I'm not loading up on Kyron. I'm not locking him or anything like that. Yeah, I just think in a game, you really, and we listen, we have seen it uh, with West Virginia backs, with other backs. They can get it done in these type of games. It's just, you need the touchdown variance on the other. I mean, I'm, I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Ian Book at 9,300. Uh, the guy, the transfer from Northwestern that I can't pronounce his name, Skronerick or whatever his name is. Do you have any interest in these guys in a game like this? No. Book is for the reduced role he's going to play today, which we talked about. It's not worth getting to. He's still only averaging 28 attempts per game, 233 yards. And that's with those competitive games that Notre Dame has played recently. So I'm out on book, even though he's got a decent rushing floor also makes me out on all the pass catchers. Scott Ronick is their leader. He's averaging 5.3 targets per game. He's never seen more than seven targets in any individual game. McKinley's no different. If you're paying for a Notre Dame pass catcher, just pay all the way down for freshman tight end Michael Mayer. The volume's not really any different and the routes are the exact same, but still probably not a viable strategy. No, I I don't think this is a game that you mess around with. It really feels like it's going to fall right where they have it. A 50 and a half imply, you know, team a total for the game. Notre Dame comes in and they eat a lot of that. Syracuse puts up like 10 points and we call it a day. Uh all right. You, you should be taking the Syracuse's implied team total then. It's nine and a half. If you nine think they're going to score that's 10. Hashtag value. Yeah, that's like UMass. When UMass is sitting at two and a half implied team totals, and it's always a sweat. Uh, and then they get a safety, and they still don't get there. But that's neither here nor there. 
this game, I'm not, I'm not calling for an upset here by any stretch, but I do want to watch it. Florida, 17 and a half point favorite. They go into Neyland, 62 and a half point total for this game. Tennessee's obviously, they're struggling. Uh, it's been a bad year. On the other side, though, Florida is surging, and they probably have what I think is the favorite for the Heisman and Kyle Trask. He's 9,600. Uh, he's not a dual threat, but he just racks up touchdowns. He's got weapons in Pitts and Tony. They've got a rotation at backfield. I'll go back to Trask. 9,600. Can you pay that price or would you rather get Fields? I would rather get Trask. I think there's more upside with him as a passer. And I think the game will be slightly more competitive. I I don't think either is a, a, a quarterback I'm going to invest heavily in in tournaments. I also think with Trask, it's easier to stack him and field a viable lineup, which is why I have a slight preference to him over fields with fields. You're guaranteed. Like you mentioned, double stacking fields, you're spending half of your salary. If you take Trask, you can at least stack with Tony who's 6,700 at a respectable price. There's more than two pass catchers receiving targets. So you, you could even look to someone like Trayvon Grimes in a stack. If you think the Florida team just scores 50 points and blows out Tennessee and that's your Avenue to a tournament winning score. And even Pitts, I mean, Pitts is a thousand cheaper than Garrett Wilson, the number one tight end in the country. So I think just stacking Trask is easier. It leaves you to a more balanced roster construction. You have better lineups overall than with Fields. That's not to say Fields doesn't have upside. I think the upside is the same between the two. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this about Trask. For him to get there, it's obviously going to be throwing a lot of touchdowns. So I think you have more options in terms of Florida stacks because – there's a very real chance he throws five like fields could get there and throw a pair and he could run a couple in. That's not going to happen with this Florida team. Pitts is just absolutely unstoppable. Tony's kind of that gadget player. And then you've got Grimes as I guess a differentiation point This backfield. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I've seen Florida play several times this year. They seem to each get a drive. They kind of rotate. And then when a game gets out of hand, Emory Jones comes in. But are you going to look at Pierce? He's the lead guy. He gets the first crack, but he certainly doesn't have a stranglehold on this situation. No, I probably won't play much of it. Their pass rate is 53.2%. They're passing with leads. They don't care about positive game script. They are just going to continue passing. And that's been a huge boon for Trask and Pitts and Tony and all the pass catchers. So I I won't be looking to Pierce. Yeah. And Chad's saying, you know, Pitts, I don't like Pitts' price if he doesn't score the TDs. Well, he has no chance to get there if he doesn't. But he's also one of the best red zone threats in the country. Maybe the best red zone threat. Uh, So... 
You can say that about anyone at this price. Like if they don't score a touchdown, you're busto. You lost. Yeah, that's at that price. I mean, he's someone also, it's not that he can't get the bonus, but he's certainly not going to have explosive games. He's more of a, I mean, it's a tight end. So that's, that's what you're going to get. He's going to be fine though. On the other side. So you, this is why we have you on the show for a variety of reasons. Cause nobody's better at this kind of stuff. Who the hell is Harrison Bailey? Thanks, Ben. I mean, he's a high recruit for Tennessee that they've refused to play. I don't know what their coach is doing with Garantano, but I mean, how much Garantano do you need to watch before you realize he's not the answer? But, you know, Bailey's a high recruit for this team. I, I think automatically he brings more upside to the offense than Garantano, but he's an unknown player. We have no idea what Harrison Bailey is going to be like. We haven't really seen him in full action. I'm not 100% confident he plays the whole game because Tennessee's coaching staff has been real rough to their quarterbacks this year. But, I mean, you and I are always interested in these kind of situations. So, I'm at least mildly interested in Bailey. I mean, yeah, obviously, if you think that Tennessee can hang and they go over their implied team total, if he starts fast, they're obviously not going to take him out. If he gets yanked, it means he was playing so bad that they had to pull him. You weren't going to get there even if he played the extra two quarters. Uh, It's not like a guy is playing fantastic at halftime and then they pull him. They pull him when he has negative four points and then you probably want him out of there anyway if you do look to Bailey or even if you don't is there anyone on the outside particularly Josh Palmer uh who you could look to as a run back in Florida stacks or do you think maybe we got to tread lightly with Tennessee I think we should tread lightly with Tennessee Palmer he leads the team just 43 targets that's 5.8 per game in his last four contests specifically, that's not fantastic. The next most targeted receiver is Brandon Johnson at 23. You just can't target players with target volume like that. What is the situation in the backfield? So we see that Eric Gray is 7,300. Chandler's been banged up. Where does it fall? I mean, do you take the cheap option if you had to, or do you stay away from both? Gray is like, it's similar to Deuce Vaughn where you have a back seeing really good volume, but he's an underdog. And the implied team total is not great. Speaking to Gray's volume, he does have at least 19 touches in his last four games. And he's averaging 22.3 on the season. If we isolate the last two games, he's carry counts of 31 and 22. That was with Chandler banged up. Chandler's expected to be back now. He'll be the 1B to Eric Gray's 1A. But again, we're still talking about 7,300 for an underdog with a low implied team total. So it's going to be difficult for me to pay 73 for that guy. Like he's 100 cheaper than Tyler Goodson. Yeah, that's a fair point. I I don't know what to make of Tennessee. I will say 17 and a half was a, a number that piqued my interest. I ultimately did not touch it. Um, but their defense is hung in a little bit. I, I just, I don't know what we get out of, out of Bailey. So we'll have to keep an eye on it. Like I said, Florida, clear stack if you want to go there. And I probably wouldn't even run it back if, if I chose to do that. All right, we're going to the Big 12. Back to the Big 12. West Virginia, Iowa State. Iowa State is certainly leading that conference right now. They're a six and a half point favorite at home. The over-under is just 48, though. Uh, Clearly, we've talked about these teams a lot. West Virginia's been on a lot of DFS slates. So we know what we're getting uh, with the quarterback, Doge, the guy that neither of us know what his true name is. We call him, what do you call him? Dogie or Doge? Deggy. I don't know how to say his name. I don't know how to say his name. No one knows. Uh, He is 6,200 here. He's got some guys on the outside, but it's been a crowded receiving core all year. You can start with that. Um, what do you make of those price points, and what do you make of the situation? Daggy Doge, I don't, I don't know how to say his name. No he is he, 
is a negative in the run game, like a significant negative. He's almost essentially going to take negative yards every game. And because of that, he's more reliant on the 300 yard bonus just because he will be eating some negative production from that. He does average nearly 39 pass attempts per game for 275 yards. So he is live for the 300 yard bonus on almost every occasion. Iowa state plays very good defense. So this is a tough matchup for him. If you're talking about quarterbacks that are cheap, that do have the ceiling though, he certainly does have it. The main problem with him is stacks. Like who do you go to in stacks? Because West Virginia often runs four wide receivers. They've rotate wide receivers a lot and they don't have a clear target leader. It's, it's volatile on a week to week basis. Like you have Winston Wright as the target leader this year, but He's seeing seven targets per game in his last four. Those flip-flop all over the place. Bryce Ford Wheaton's their X receiver. He's second on the team in targets. He's averaging six per game in his last four. But again, they're all over the place. I think if you want to stack him with somebody or just play someone from this offense, Sean Ryan is the cheapest viable punt on the slate, in my opinion. He stands out over Sam James, who they've essentially benched at this point. And Sean Ryan's running a a route on a majority of the dropbacks now. He's just a pure punt play, but you can definitely look to him. Yeah, he's starting to trend upwards. Hasn't found the end zone yet, but the the casters are there. And there's just not that many players. So, you know, he's $3,300 on an offense that's kind of in flux. The backfield, uh, a little easier to break down. We know Letty Brown, obviously, is their guy. Big-time volume, but it's a big-time price tag. And, and listen, Iowa State is no joke. Uh, they start off the year with a tough loss to Louisiana Lafayette, but they've certainly looked good uh, all the way through Big 12 play. They have, and this is a tough offense to get to do get to in DFS because they're so slow. They're one of the slowest offenses in the country running 68 plays per game. I loved Purdy coming into the year. This is a horrible take at this point, but I thought he might be, you know, like a dark horse Heisman candidate. He certainly is not that, but he has improved recently. Now is a pair of 300 yard passing games under his belt. Those need to be in shootouts when Iowa state can play with a lead and their opponent plays fairly slow. Purdy has a difficult time accessing that ceiling. Only 30 pass attempts per per game for Purdy. That's generally not going to get it done. And his price point is kind of middling. The offense had a bit of a shakeup last week with Tariq Milton returning. He didn't even run around on 30% of the dropbacks, but he had eight targets on those really limited snaps. And that hurt Xavier Hutchinson. He only had three targets himself. I think the only one who's unaffected by this is the tight end, Charlie Kohler. He still had 10 targets, and he's been one of the premier receiving tight ends in the Big 12 this year. I think Kohler is my preferred stacking option with Purdy if you take this route. Do you think that if Milton sees more snaps that that target share could even increase at 3,700? It could increase. Eight targets is a lot for this offense. Like West Virginia, I think, would have to get out for ahead in this game early for Tariq Milton to see more targets. But, you know, one game sample, Tariq Milton was a big part of this offense last year. He will be involved to some degree. More likely than that happening is that Iowa State, you know, they are uh, almost a touchdown favorite, and I, I think they win this game, to be honest. Brees Hall in the backfield should be carrying the load. Uh, 8,700 workhorse back, finds the end zone a lot. 17 touchdowns on the year, very live for the bonus. Where does he fall in terms of the premier running back options? He's very expensive and he's seen his workload kind of reduced a little bit recently. I think some of this is just matchup and blowouts. He still is averaging 140 rushing yards per game on 24 opportunities. So, I mean, this is fantastic volume for Brees Hall. 
anytime you have the salary to get him, I'm more than comfortable taking a shot on a guy like this. I personally prefer to pay down a little bit and try to get someone like maybe Tyler Goodson, who's a thousand more than a thousand cheaper than him in a similar volume, but can't fault anyone for, for playing Brees Hall. Yeah. I mean, listen, you, you mentioned it. He's, he's a top end player. It's an opportunity cost. I don't love it, but I do think that the best chance for Iowa state today is going to be leaning on the ground game. And it could be a competitive game where his volume goes back to where we've seen it, but you just mentioned Goodson. Let's move to that game. Iowa 13 and a half point favorite over under 52 going into Illinois. Eh, I don't know about this, uh, but we'll, we'll start with the Iowa side of things. And you know what? We'll start in the backfield. You just mentioned him. Talk about Tyler Goodson, 7,400. Where does he fall in terms of the top end running backs? Um, he's a strong target for me. He'll probably be in my cash lineup. His volume is similar to someone like Brees Hall or Letty Brown, the expensive backs we already talked about, but he's cheaper. He's 7,400. Phenomenal matchup against the Illinois defense, allowing just shy of 200 rushing yards per game. They're a 13 and a half point favorite. Iowa has increasingly relied on the run because Spencer Petras just, he's not it as a quarterback. The guy doesn't have (laughs) any sort of skills. So they need to absolutely just pound the ball. So he's averaging 23, or excuse me, 21.3 opportunities per game. And that has risen in recent weeks with their increased reliance on the run. If you were in some sort of like purgatory situation and you had to take either a Kansas state wide receiver or an Iowa wide receiver, what would you do? I would take Amir Smith-Marset because he returns kickoffs and he'd like use him on carries and stuff occasionally. Like he's a dynamic athlete. So I'll just take the best athlete when we're talking about two horrific situations. Yeah, I mean, I was a quick team to sum up. If they win this game, and I think they will, it's going to be in the backfield. It's going to be on good defense. Their passing game is a disaster. Uh, on the other side, this is a team that's, I mean, they've dealt with some COVID situations. But then they, they at times, they show some form, the fighting Lovey Smiths. They've got some things that I do like. Crushed Nebraska, that was impressive. They've got the guy, Imer Matabibi. Is it, how do you say this guy's name? Dude, I don't know. Okay. Well, they've got him on the outside at 4,800, certainly getting some looks. Talk about Peters. Uh, talk about the backfield. Honestly, just sum up this Illinois team. They're, they should be trailing in this spot, uh, and that could cause them to open up the passing game, which is not what they want to do. They don't want to do, but Brandon Peters is their best chance if they have to take this approach. Last week, he completed 18 of 25 passes. Peters is a quiet dual threat, too. He's 111 rushing yards on the year, and that seems really low, but you have to factor in Brandon Peters has been out for a few games due to COVID protocols. If they're a negative game script, Peters, I think, possesses a higher ceiling than a lot of players in this price range. Like He's in the same price range as like Petras on the other side, and mainly just the bad signal callers. I do think he has more upside than this because of his rushing floor, and he's the best passing quarterback they have. Behind Peters, they essentially just have dual threats, and they're running like a Kansas state level offense when he's not in there. Now, I, earlier in the year, like Josh, a matter baby, not sure how to say his name with his 27% target share, he was seeing pretty healthy targets per game, like near eight to 10. And with the other signal callers, that's dropped all the way down to around five per game with Peters back in the lineup, his efficiency should rise. Same with tight end Daniel Barker outside of that. No one really sees consistent target volume, but I do think Peters helps the offense. So if you want to like maybe look at a stack of the game or just run back, a correlated play to Tyler Goodson. I think you can do this as far as chase Brown goes, despite seeing negative game script in every single game, Illinois has just been incessant on running the ball and chase Brown has worked his way over Epstein at this point. He is 
17 and 26 carries in back-to-back games. He receives targets occasionally and now averaging 71.4 yards per game. He's sort of the same as like a deuce bond. When you have these huge underdogs, I think you have to ask yourself like how much scoring equity a chase Brown has. And would you rather play maybe someone in a timeshare who has more scoring equity, like an NC state back or, you know, someone in that vein? Yeah, I'm with you. I just think that when you look at the situation, there's just so many ways that he's phased out due to them being ineffective. Uh, so you got to tread lightly there. There's oh, that guy has a brother. So we'll have to keep an eye on. Uh, there's another matter baby. There's another oh, yeah, one. He does. The other um, dude doesn't play though. No, no, don't play him. I just point those things out. That's what I do for the show. Um, yeah, I, I don't see anything else for this game to me again. I think Goodson stands alone and you mentioned he's cash viable so we'll keep it moving save some time here all right here we go this is now my turn to give a bet uh indiana against your boys in wisconsin 13 point underdog going into madison over under really low 44 and a half so that just speaks to what we're probably dealing with on the dfs side i bet indiana though uh, i like i got a 14 um which is obviously preferred number you can check odd shopper to see if any of those are out there save yourself some money. Definitely worth checking out oddshopper.osimo.com. But looking at Indiana, the big news, of course, is that Penix goes down with the ACL. He's gone, but as I told you before the show, I am a Jack Tuttle fan. I thought he would eventually be the starter at Utah. It didn't happen. He transfers in 5,800. Similar to Bailey, I think this guy's better. Can you back him blindly without having seen him play? I like targeting these situations personally. And people always are like, I need to see it for a game. I need to see it for a game. And you and I have hit on this uh, probably more than we should at this point this year. But when you have these players in situations that are unknown and then they perform well, their price adjusts. So you no longer get them at the same value. This is a very, very difficult matchup for Tuttle. Wisconsin's defense is no joke, particularly on the ground. They're going to get after him as a passer. I do think there are concerns with Tuttle. He's now been with two programs and he's failed to latch on it either. And it's taken injuries for him to see the starting job. So there are significant concerns with Tuttle. He's not really a dual threat. He was recruited as a pro style quarterback, but Indiana passes a ton. They have a a over 50% pass rate. They run a lot of plays. If they can, you know, actually rack up some efficiency against Wisconsin, you could see a ceiling game out of him. He certainly has the weapons for it. I do think I, I will say in the DFS side, it's a tougher sell. You're going to get low ownership. And if you're building a bunch of teams, I don't hate it because the Indiana stack, he has everything that you could want. We've talked time and time again about the weapons on the outside. I think he slides into this offense a lot better than people realize. And that's why I bet them. I don't think there's going to be that big of drop off for guys like Fry Fogel, Wap Fowler, even Hendershot. What do you do though? Jumping back and forth a little. That's why I like him for the betting side. What do you do on the DFS side, though? Are you really concerned about the change at QB affecting these you know, guys on the outside? It's tough to say. I mean, I think failure is a better price adjusted play because his target volume is essentially the same as Fry Fogel. He plays out of the slot. He's not seeing targets as much downfield, so it does limit his upside a bit. But if you're talking about a new signal caller, how much do you want him throwing downfield anyway? I'm, not, I'm legitimately not sure. Fry Fogel is still a monster. The target volume is essentially the same as failure, but you're paying a much larger price for a receiver that was thriving with the efficiency of Penix. With Tuttle coming in, how much of that efficiency translates over? And again, it's an uncertain situation. He likely comes in with depressed ownership because of this. And we know if Tuttle can deliver the ball at least somewhat accurately to Fry Fogel, his ceiling is there. 
It is worth pointing out. I mean, obviously, like I said, I like Indiana. Their implied total, though, is just like around 16 points today. So it's not like they are expected to really get out there. They could struggle. Tuttle could be ineffective. There is a downside, but that's the risk. That's the balance that you have to take. Ah, boy, the backfield similar, you know, Stevie Scott, 6,900. The problem with him is, again, they are underdog. They are expected to be trailing. Do you think he can get enough? I mean, when they're winning, his workload is massive. When they lost against Ohio State, he was rendered useless. Do you think it falls in the middle or is it really game script dependent like that? I think he's game script dependent and he's been very efficient and it's not just him. All of the rushers for Indiana have been fairly inefficient this year. So at his price, he's not someone I'm taking a strong look at. I I think there's concerns. He might even see some work moving forward. Tuttle, don't make me look like an idiot today. Just get it done. Um, On the other side, your boy, Graham Mertz, uh, 6,700. Turns out that he's not the best player in the world. We saw against, you know, when he debuted, he was unstoppable. He's had some struggles of late. He's still a freshman, you know, 41 passes against Northwestern. They did struggle. They only manufactured seven points. Where does that leave this team, honestly? I mean, it's a tough team to look to go to the tight end. What what do you do with a Wisconsin team that is struggling a bit? I mean, you can't play anyone in the pass game, and it's not – I personally think Mertz has some talent, but I mean, you just can't play Wisconsin, who's a fancy triple option team. Like they just run the ball so much. They don't care about game script and they don't care about modern offensive concepts. So you're not playing Mertz. You're not playing a single pass catcher. They're all priced up too. like Ferguson at 7K, especially because he's hurt. Like you can't play anyone from the Wisconsin pass game. If you want to target a rusher, they even though they use three backs, it's a situation where they run so many just raw run plays where these guys still have a lot of volume. Like it's over 30 carries per game, no matter what. So the freshman Jalen Berger, he has essentially, he missed a game, but he's had at least 15 carries in his last two games, averaging 16.5 touches per game and 90 rushing yards. He's 5,800. So I do have some interest in him. Nakia Watson's going to mix in as a change of pace, but he's, you know, less than a thousand, pretty close to Berger. And I think his touches are elevated a little bit because Berger missed a game and Groshek missed a game. Garrett Groshek might play the weirdest role in all of college football as a fullback, but pass catching back and goal line back. They literally use him as a blocker. And then he's like their primary third down back as well. And then he's also their goal line back. And it really made me mad when Jonathan Taylor was there, but he's averaging 15 and a half opportunities per game. And he has target counts of five and six. And even though he missed a game, he's still their second most targeted receiver on the team. Yeah, all of that is disturbing. Um, and it's like just, how weird of a player is Groshek? Very, very. I can't even like. I was trying to think of someone. You know, there's a lot of people who watch the show and we love it, but don't watch a ton of college football. I was trying to think of someone in the NFL that you could like relate that to. Use check. Yeah, that's the only viable guy. Um, he went to high school by me. He was a quarterback in high school. He's like the weirdest player ever. He's probably not a weird human, but. Like the dude's usage is amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals from courses to help you attain or retain certification to individualized coaching services to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen management concepts optimizes your professional development online in person individually or groups it's training that's measurably better Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. The weirdest thing I've ever seen. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a stay away. Listen, that's one of the lower over-unders on the slate. And again, I bet Indiana. I hope that they can hang in. All right, we've got three games left. See what we can do here. We got, we're going to ACC now. Boston College, Virginia. Virginia, three and a half point home favorite over under a 55. I know you've stated that you think this could get out and moving a little bit. Uh, talk to me on the BC side. You, that's been a common theme with you all year, and I, not just because of Jerkovic, but you've mentioned the, the change in philosophy offensively that you think BC wrongly is pegged as a running heavy team, and they're actually not. Yeah, they aren't. They have a brand new coaching staff, and they've been far more game script sensitive, which is how you should be as a, as a program. So they're throwing the ball a lot when they're trailing in games. And that's led to really productive games for Yurkovich. He's also a pretty good dual threat. He takes a lot of sacks, which mitigates some of that upside. But we're still talking about a team with a pass rate north of 50%. And they're running a lot more plays per game than they did last year. That leads to more upside for someone like Yurkovich. And I think if you're targeting someone in the lower price tier, he stands out to me as one of the better price adjusted quarterback plays given his rushing upside. Also, Virginia on the other side, talking about just overall game environment, they play very fast and they play very pass heavy as well, which leads to this sort of explosive potential in the game if both of them can move the ball. Yurkovich has been hurt this year, and that's the main concern with him. He's dealing with a shoulder injury, not significant enough to keep him out of games, but enough to at least raise some concerns. He is interesting, though. Like I said, you, you, you mentioned dual threat ability. I don't mind the matchup. And Zay Flowers, 5,200. Uh, obvious target to pair him with. I like him on his own as well. What do you make of Flowers and the rest of these BC pass catchers? They're all heavily targeted because of their elevated pass rate, and they're not coming in with the appropriate prices. People still aren't thinking about Boston College as, you know, like a pass-first team, but Zay Flowers is averaging 10 targets per game in his last four contests. Hunter Long, the receiving tight end, he's averaging seven targets, seven and a half targets per game. He's also second on the team in receiving yards. Even someone like C.J. Lewis, He's emerged for 4.3 targets per game as the third pass catcher on this team. He's priced up at 5K, but, you know, they have Jalen Gill, who's on the field almost every single down, too. Those are really cheap attachments to an offense that's going to be throwing the ball a lot and projecting to score a good amount of points. Yeah, this is, I think, a good spot to possibly stack up, and and you're going to have options on the other side. Let's go there. Virginia, Virginia is a team. They're another one. They're on the slate all the time. We always get sucked into talking about Brennan Armstrong. Uh, Billy Kemp, Jana, all these guys. So what, what do you make of the Cavaliers? Like I said, slight favorite at home. I think it's, it's a very similar situation. And Brennan Armstrong is someone we have to be really careful with. He projects extremely well because Virginia is very pass heavy. They have a pass rate north of 50%. They run a ton of plays. They run, they're running nearly 80 plays per game, which is just a ton of raw volume for Armstrong. Then we take into account that Armstrong is a pretty good dual threat. And it just leads to pretty silly projections for this guy. And he's priced at 8.2K. He's still a value at this price. But I also think his talent is a little questionable, which leads to some volatility in his projection. Like we all played him the week where he scored negative points and got the concussion. And I I know everybody is scarred from that, that performance. What do you, I mean, like I said, flowers on the other side to me stands kind of above these other guys. What do you make of the Virginia pass catchers? Uh, Is it, Kemp who's a who's a running back like what is going on there Uh, yeah go ahead DraftKings changed him to a receiver from one week and then they accidentally put him back at running back this week I don't know man I mean the opportunity cost is something that obviously is what do you think that does to him if he was a receiver would you have that much more interest 
yes, I would have, I would have more interest just because there's some really good rushers. It's like in the NFL, I think most people have gone to wide receiver flexes just because it's a little bit safer at this point in college football. We have runners that are going to see 30 carries and that opportunity is almost like a guaranteed thing. So there is some opportunity costs when you have some of these runners that have such great workloads, it's tough to play him. Anything in, in the backfield that we need to discuss? I don't think so. So they played Abilene Christian last week and they just beat the bricks out of him. And we saw Ronnie Walker really make his debut. He he carried the ball more than Talapapa, but I still think this is more of a product of game script than anything. I think it'll be a rotation between Talapapa, Simpson, and Walker. So you're probably not playing any of them. Kemp is a phenomenal value, but he's priced incorrectly and he's labeled as a running back. Terrell Yana is a very good slot receiver for this team. His target volume has been depressed in their most recent games, but again, they played Abilene Christian, so I'm not putting too much stock into that game. He's still the second most targeted receiver on the year. Lavelle Davis is egregiously priced above Kemp and Yana, and he's like the wide receiver three or four on the team because they have an athletic tight end in Tony Pulgin, too, who's probably appropriately priced at 4500 Central Michigan QB that you love to talk about, that guy. Yeah, um, I have to. Every time, every time I can, man, I have to talk about to. Central Michigan. Yeah, well, Chippewas. Uh, all right, two games down, two games left, I should say. Chat, we got a lot of people in here. It's good to see. I do want to give it real quick. One, if you can hit that like button, pump us up over 100. We got to do that on a Saturday morning too. Get in Slack. Join the community. We'd love to have you a part. Obviously, Matt's doing a ton of work with projections, articles. We're going to be doing more and more college basketball if you guys are interested. I know uh, that's where my focus is, especially in the betting side of things right now. So stay tuned for that. And of course, NFL, MMA, NBA is coming up. We have big things planned there. Uh, everyone's really excited. So we'd love to have you in, even if it's just for a week. Go to that join page and find what works for you. Here we go. Stanford, Washington, 49-point uh, total. Huskies, 12-point favorite at home. Start with Stanford. You've got Mills, uh, Michael Wilson. What, what, what do we make of the Cardinal? They throw the ball a lot. So, I mean, yeah. anytime you get Stanford on a slate and they are throwing the ball as much as they are, there's an outside consideration to stack the team. I, Mills is very questionable. His efficiency has been poor. 44 pass attempts per game and just 270 yards. He should be averaging north of 300 yards with that volume, but he's not. With the volume he has, though, it has led to some productive games for pass catchers. You mentioned Wilson. He's currently leading the team in targets with 24, but he's only seen one more target than Simi Fahoko, who is more than 1K cheaper than him. So you can definitely look to Fahoko as a pretty good price adjusted play. They also have Connor Weddington. He's very involved as a pass catcher too. Anything in the Stanford backfield? They feed Austin Jones a pretty decent amount, but he's extremely inefficient, similar to Stevie Scott. He's only averaging 65 rushing yards per game, but he is averaging 21.3 touches. And he has been, this has been independent of game script. He has 18 touches in every game this year. And there was a game where they were getting killed, but Austin Jones had nine targets. So pretty good as a pass catcher. Yeah. And I, I do think obviously clearly they could fall behind here. Um, I, I guess you could go there. I mean, there's, there are ways he can be involved. He's a little game script proof. I don't love the other side of this game though. So, which is good. Cause we, we'll have one game left and we'll have a couple minutes for questions. I, I think that I haven't seen a ton of Washington, but I think Dylan Morse is safer than maybe what it looks like. I don't love the volume for him. Do you with the pass catchers or is it really uh, more of the backfield, which is crowded in itself? It, man, it's really hard to play Washington It is because they're so run heavy. And then you look to the backfield and they're rotating three players when I mean, they, they did have a couple of injuries back there. 
with, with Richard Newton, but when they're all healthy, it's a three-way timeshare, which kind of mitigates the upside of having such a run heavy profile. Of course, when you are so run heavy, Dylan Morris isn't often going to get there. Yeah. I think it's tough to target all of them. It is. I, again, no one cares about this. I think that Pleasant is the best of the three um, from what I've seen. I wish they just gave him like 30 carries, but they, they do not. Uh, I think it's a game you can live without, honestly, on a lot of fronts. I, I think it plays towards that spread. Washington wins going, you know, somewhat comfortably and they lean on the running backs, which really caps the upside for game stacks and things like that. I All agree. right. Final game, Georgia Tech, NC State. Sims, he's not a freshman anymore because we he's they've played 40 games this year. So he's actually probably like a junior <laughs> at this point. I don't know how Georgia Tech is still playing. They're six and a half point underdog here, 59 and a half point total. Floor is yours, Georgia Tech, Sims and Co. Sims is a bit expensive for my liking. I was surprised to see him come in with such a hefty price tag. And Sims is a guy I'm interested in at a lower price tag because he has good dual threat ability. But at his price, he really needs to get there as a passer too, and he doesn't have much upside there. As far as his stacking options, I mean, none of them are averaging even five targets per game. That's next to impossible as well. So as a passer, I'm kind of out on Sims at his price. In the running back room, Jameer Gibbs is hurt. So we have a, a – and I don't think Jameer Gibbs is going to play. I mean, he was – there hasn't really been an update on his injury status, but he was on the sidelines in crutches. So I would say that's probably a bad sign. But their former starter, Jordan Mason, is just 4,200. And he handled 21 carries with Jameer Gibbs leaving in the middle of the game. So that could have even been a higher touch volume had Jameer Gibbs not played at all. I know they're underdogs in this spot, but you're getting really nice volume with Jordan Mason at a cheap price. You are. And it's just a six and a half point spread. It's not impossible for Georgia Tech to hang in this game. Uh, That is a way to save some money at running back. On the NC State side, we've got Hockman. You mentioned Donovan Knight. Uh, where, where are your priorities there? I do think this game could get out moving a little bit. I think so, too. Georgia Tech's been terrible on the ground. And with Bailey Hockman as the quarterback, NC State has run more just raw running plays. They're not throwing the ball as much. Hockman is a big step down from Devin Leary. So they've embraced the run. They're splitting time just directly down the middle. Donovan Knight and Ricky Person, even though Ricky Person's been significantly less efficient, he still is going to handle almost the exact workload as Donovan Knight. And they are 2K in price difference. So when you have a team favored here in a good matchup on the ground, I'll take the savings with Person at 4,300. Agree. Um, Anything else from NC State? Is this a game that you think is worth targeting? I I do, honestly. I think so too, because you have two teams that are fairly fast. Georgia Tech's going to be very run heavy, but you also have cheap plays on both sides. So if you're playing Jordan Mason and you want to run someone on the other side, I think it's an easy spot to do so. Okay. We got a couple minutes left here. Don't go anywhere. NFL final thoughts, Jeff Ulrich, Greg Ehrenberg coming up next. Uh, let's, I'm going to do a couple questions for you. First, Oklahoma state running backs. I believe everything is the same as where we've left it. Correct. Uh, Chuba's out for sure. And they said that LD Brown is available in case of emergency. Ooh, so okay. it looks like the same exact situation as last week. I, for everyone in chat, I am updating projections right now. They will be live on the slate. And I can tell you that Desmond Jackson projects very well. He's probably going to be in your cash lineups just with the, how much Oklahoma state is running the ball. He's a phenomenal play, even at his price. Like we talked about it when we talked about, okay, state Chuba Hubbard, when he's seeing a full workload is eight, nine K you're getting yep. Desmond Jackson in the Chuba Hubbard workload at 6.2. You are. I also think that Tylen Wallace becomes very interesting if you want to roll the dice. Agreed. Um, all right. Yeah, let's go Indiana. 
quickly, what do you think happens in BYU Coastal Carolina? I think the BYU, game. The game. I think they roll them personally, but BYU. I yeah, I bet BYU. Okay. I'm a, I know I'm a traitor. I bet BYU. I feel dirty about it too. I do think that they're just a different caliber of team. I agree. I, man, I don't like it, but someone had to do it. Yeah. I mean, listen, comes with the territory. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm interested to see that. The last thing, and this is as dumb of a thing. I said this last week in chat, I have to take the L. They lost by many, many points. Akron is going to win today. They are a favorite. They're going to break the streak. It's been many years uh, since they've found a W. I think I'm going to bet them again against Bowling Green. Indiana, Bowling Green, Matt likes the over in that BC game. He likes BYU, likes Oklahoma State. Uh, so that'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for stopping in. It's such a fun show. One of my favorites of the week, and you guys make it great. Thanks to Tyler Zander behind the glass, making it all easy game. Uh, we'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Good luck, everyone, and we will see you then.
This is the week 13 NFL strategy show. Greg Ehrenberg here, joined by Jeff Ulrich. We got a different producer. Here. I didn't even know we were starting. I was like, hey, we're ready. And then we got the countdown. Uh, but I, I didn't know we were live. There was no music or anything. There's always there was a little mix up, always something, always something new going on. And this show, as per usual on Saturday, is sponsored by Yahoo. And the other thing to consider here, too, Jeff, we've got an interesting week because your boy, our boy, really man of the company, Mitchell Trubisky is chalk this week. What are, what are we doing with this information? Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's true. It's kind of like, I mean, I, I feel like it, we're right back to week one. Like uh, Trubisky got benched, the Bears had a winning streak, then they had a losing streak. And it's like, we're right back to week one, Greg, because in week one, we were talking about Mitchell Trubisky versus the Lions. And look, he didn't end up being too bad that week. I mean, uh, I think he actually ended up being, you know, we had some guys go off, so he wasn't... Uh, I don't know if he ended up factoring into a lot of winning laps, but he certainly wasn't a bust. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting week. I mean, quarterback right now, top three owned are Ryan Fitzpatrick, or the top three projected ownership right now on quarterback is Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, Deshaun Watson without Will Fuller, and then Trubisky. So, it's an interesting week at QB. Like, you're going to be able to make a lot of cases for pivoting off these guys, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, it it is really weird. I mean, we go back to that week one with Mitchell Trubisky. And if I remember correctly, he was busting really hard until like midway through the fourth quarter. The the Bears were getting crushed in that game. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of led them back. And then it was was a late touchdown pass to Anthony Miller that really gave him a decent game. And if I remember correctly, that was one of our favorite stacks of the week. So it was something we got away with that really shouldn't have worked, that just kind of did because Trubisky was generally awful the entire game. But I can't believe people are going back to him as chalk in this spot against uh, against Detroit. And it's not just him either. It's the entire offense is chalky. And we've also got Allen Robinson questionable to play. So I really don't know what to make of this Trubisky spot. My, my initial thought is he's viable at his price point. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.